0: Uh, I ain't going to have much good to say about him. I can tell you this. He doesn't care two bits about the
1: people that live on Staten Island and Brooklyn.
0: He he, he has a podcast that he has to create content for, that he talks about, you know, needs drama to, you know, feed his podcast,
2: right?
1: He's a fraud. He's a fraud.
2: He's becoming a jackass at a time when we need to have a serious debate about the future of the party and the
3: country. And welcome to the Alexis Pereira program. I am your host, Alexis Pereira. With me, as always, the Marjorie Taylor (laughs) Green to my Donald Trump, Alex Estrada. Alex, how are you, buddy? Die, Alexis. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Marjorie Taylor Taylor Green. She was. It's just
0: you know, I'm more insulted because she came in like at the very, very end uh, of things, and I've been with you the entire time.
3: You know, it's true. I mean, did she even go to the Capitol Hill riots? I don't think she did. I don't, she wasn't sworn in yet. How would she uh, have down there? Um, I believe people accuse her of being somebody who's passing along information. Is that true, or is that?
0: I mean, I I I, I would believe it uh, <laughs> if somebody said it. I had yeah. I hadn't heard that, but I know that she uh, does peddle in uh, all sorts of abhorrent conspiracy theories. So.
3: Well, speaking of Abhart conspiracy theories, how here old we are. You? Yes, uh,
0: my week's my week's been okay. It's actually been uh, one of the busier weeks on on record. Uh, just between my various jobs, uh, I've had to do a lot of reading this past week uh, about some uh, family history. So that's been very interesting. Well, let's go into that.
3: I know you. Do you want to talk about it? Your work?
0: Yeah, on- sure. I, I mean, very generally. Uh, as as some folks might know, I uh, am currently developing a podcast uh, based on my father's um, murder trial back in the nineteen eighties. And uh, this week, uh, I got access to a bunch of legal filings and other information in the case uh that I've been reading through. It's just sort of news clippings and uh trial motions and transcripts. And so yeah, so it's you know it's sort of haunting and you know not really cathartic, but like interesting to sort of read. And you know when uh you know I'm 30 I'm what 35 right now. And to think well, that uh, the IMDB age. Yeah yeah according according to IMDB. And when my dad was on trial for this, uh, you know, he was 35, 36 and, um, yeah, just like, you know, all his shit was being blasted in the, uh, in the newspaper, uh, about this trial and like him losing his job and, and everything else. And so it's just very interesting to sort of contrast, uh, my life, which, uh, I didn't think was easy until I, <laughs> I maybe read this, um, these articles and, uh, and trial transcripts, like, isn't so bad compared to my dad's, uh, who was just
3: really going through the ringer, uh, at this time in his life. So you- you know, what's interesting, um, my, my father, who was also deceased, um, but uh, was has not been charged with murder uh, yet. A, yet. <laughs> this, wait till my podcast comes out. <laughs> <laughs> when he was my age, he had just he had been traveling the world uh, and he had lived in Germany for a couple of years um, after being born in Africa and Kenya. And uh, and he had traveled the world and he just arrived in New York City and was getting an apartment in the Bronx, like bicycling to St. John's University in Queens. It's so strange <laughs> to think of like how adults kind of you know not everybody but you know people in their like 20s in the 70s had whole families and you know whatever and uh were traveling a lot and uh i feel like our generation maybe not as much
0: yeah no it's it's wild to think that at uh, 29 my dad had uh, three kids I uh, was running a liquor store and had murdered his business partner, allegedly. And at 29, you know, I hadn't even gotten, I wasn't even pre-WGA at that point, so.
3: <laughs> well, you know, Alex, um, you and I, we, we're, I, it's interesting. I was just stereotyping people our age and you and I are, um, you know, ne'er-do-wells hoping to one day make it in the comedy world. Um, and, uh, but honestly, a lot of it might be our own volition, our own mistakes, you know, we 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 make our own path as you will Um, but our guest this week is somebody who actually is accomplished so
0: (laughs) unlike us or our fathers yes our dead fathers
3: so you know if you're listening out there and you're thinking wow you know alexis and alex two talented uh people uh gave it all they can uh it looks like i got no shot uh (laughs) this next guest might make you think differently um uh, she she's a, a writer uh, for one of the stri- the Sesame Street character with a late night show. okay, I'll let you guess <laughs> which one that is. Uh, she's also a writer on the Foundation at uh, at uh, the, our dearly departed UCB. But but the Foundation lives. Um Foundation well, lives. At, That's a great uh, name for a podcast. We'll go steal it. <laughs> well, that'll be the murder <laughs> podcast, not the Foundation. Uh, let's bring her on, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Laura Kenty Samuel. Laura, how are
1: you? I'm great. Great to be here, guys. What's up? Hey. Not there. <laughs> a- <laughs>
0: You heard it all. You know what's going on. Oh
1: my God! I just learned so much. I didn't know there were murder trials. I didn't know there were parents born in Africa. I, um, I think you guys have set the bar super high. It's so interesting.
0: See Alexis, this is what it's like to have someone say that to you.
1: I never knew.
3: I never knew. So I laura you, you know it's funny i know you um you know i wouldn't say we're like the best of friends but i we're friends and i hear about your life through aaron often and it feels weird to say how how has your quarantine been knowing that you have been through a lot and you do a lot <laughs> and it continues to but uh how's your quarantine going <laughs> <laughs> um
1: it horrible it was terrible mm-hmm. um what alexis knows is that my husband um fell ill with the coronavirus very early on. Um, Back in March, uh, March 14th, He started feeling a little ill, you know, thought maybe it was just allergies or the flu, you know, as as, uh, was described to us in the media. It's just like a flu. Uh, But within that week, he was uh, in, uh, intubated, you know, he was at Massachusetts General Hospital and uh, he stayed on the vent later for a, 20 days, was in the ICU for 25 and in the hospital for 30 days. So a full month of horror is what it was. You know, um, it uh, was a
3: time where people didn't know anything about it, too. So this was really scary. First wave. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, We were blessed in that the since it was so early on and in Boston, it hadn't exploded yet. He was able to get the care that he needed. And although a lot of it wasn't, um, I'm surprised they didn't kill him, to be honest with you, because they were trying so many things, you know, they didn't know what to do. They were really learning on him as well as a few other patients. But um, like here in Brooklyn, where I'm from, where I am right now, um, it, the disease did explode and there wasn't enough um, help in the hospitals. Uh, no one knew what to do. And they were short-staffed. So um, a lot of people who unfortunately who are not with us, uh, friends of mine who passed, um, they just didn't, I think, didn't have the level of care. And not because the um, staff wasn't competent. It's just that there weren't enough hands to handle the severity of uh, the situation.
3: You know, it's interesting. My cousin is a specialist in Miami, I think the Miami-Dade uh, area. And, uh, you know, he works in a hospital and he, he tells he, he he's like a physical. Like, he loves um loves to work out and he loves to, you know, be in shape. And like, that's like an important thing to him. And as you obviously important to me as well. Um, and uh, he says that, you know, he goes to work and it is like a workout for 10 to 12 hours straight. And he's just sweating. He's covered in the, you know, the PPE and mm-hmm. he's just, you know, running around, you know, he, say, he says he literally, he's more scared thinking about going to work than when he is at work because he literally cannot think. It's just go, go, go in the entire time.
1: Yeah, um, I couldn't imagine uh, what that must be like. When they say the front lines, it truly must be like being on the front lines of a war, you know, um, and you're fighting an enemy that you haven't been prepared to fight. So you don't know what tactics to use. You don't know uh, which words are coming at you. And you have to learn all that on the fly. And you have all of these innocents who are, you know, who you're supposed to protect, you know, really must... Um, you know, be a mind fuck. It really must mess with you. You know, um, I, I, I respect uh, and it, those individuals so much and the fact that it continues. I mean, we are still, right now, we're going along with our everyday lives and they've been altered, but people are still out there on the front lines dealing with like death that they never thought they'd see and numbers they never thought they'd have to deal with day after day after day. And um, I don't know that we're doing enough to help those people.
3: Yeah, I mean there's a lot of things. Um number 1 and maybe this isn't number 1, but uh the vaccine rollout which I know they're doing their best, but um they're just basically working they're they're, they're distributing and creating it at creating it at their their factories and if they're short they're just like, well, you know, we that's it. That's it for this week, you know. That's all we can instead of maybe I'm wrong, but instead of expanding it Tr- giving the patent away having other people created just to get the vaccine out there so there's less people going to the hospital with this uh devil sickness um yeah. but no it's just capitalism is at work for some reason they yeah like, that's hey, you know what if you yeah. don't have the money
0: it's, a, and it's such an insane thing too because just thinking about like the amount of resources that have been sort of piled into this compared with you know the way that vaccine trials and everything else like normally takes years you know the federal government took on so much of the expense And then at the end, they didn't say. In the condition of this is that you'll, you know, once once something is approved, that you'll release the uh, the patents and allow this to be manufactured. And like that was that that was not a condition of this uh, this money, and this uh, this latitude, the legal protections that are being given to uh, manufacturers is (laughs) mind-boggling, bordering on criminal, in my opinion. (laughs)
1: It's all about it's all about the money, and um, I was reading an article today that essentially is saying that you know COVID is here to stay, right? That um, we're going to be dealing with this for years to come, and how companies are excitedly you know capitalizing upon you know this industry, um, which is sick. (laughs) It sucks. Right?
0: Right. Yeah, I I think I, I caught one of those headlines that said like, oh, the the COVID pandemic, the worldwide pandemic, might last seven years. Uh, you are not necessarily saying that we're going to be indoors the entire time, but that we're going to be dealing with waves and variants um, and you know uh, surges in cases uh, for a long time.
3: What about the HIV pandemic? We're still living through that. Thirty years, yeah. forty years down the line, you know, it, it's it's m- more managed than it was in the '80s, but right. we're still living through it.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's what many scientists are thinking, that this is going to become, you know, a disease like HIV or Zika, you know, or just like flu that will yeah. just continue to be with us um, for time and continuum. And uh, really, it's going to be big business for a lot of companies that are developing new, you know, new uh, No ways to test for it, developing, no cleaning, solvents, um, new products, procedures. I mean, this is turning into big business for, you know, a lot of people.
0: It's going
3: to be a boon for the quilt industry, I tell you what. (laughs) You know, and if you guys can let me know what I should invest in so I could also uh, partake in that. I will. Uh, GameStop, Alexis. Everyone. Yes. <laughs> I, was I lost $10,000 on that. Because of, you know. I believe that you would. Yes. Laura, <laughs> let's talk about something positive, uh, yes. which is your own career. Uh, you know, you know. <laughs> We're like obviously. I'm sure you have other things you want to do. So I'm not saying that you've created the final artwork by being a stick on TV show.
1: Yeah, I'm done. It's done now. It's
3: done. Yes. It's, it's done. I'm finished.
1: finished. Um, I, I've done all that I want to do no, I, uh, <laughs> Um, but this year has been just weird because it's been a great year in terms of my work, right? Um, which is I mean it's awesome because since people can work remotely. You know, you can write from anywhere. I think that's opened doors and, you know, there have been conversations that I'm having that I don't think I would have had if, you know, it was just about, okay, you have to be here in New York and you have to do this thing, what have you, and you only work with these people who are here in New York. Um, Like right now, uh, the people who I'm having the pleasure to work with, you know, part of them are on the West Coast and the rest of us are, you know, here on the East Coast. And that's amazing, you know, because otherwise I wouldn't have, you know, been connected with these individuals, so that's great. Um, I love the work that I'm doing with Sesame right now. Alma um, really you
0: like. I you know,
1: started my first. you know, me and Alma we chill. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm doing uh, some work in racial justice also for Sesame, which is amazing. It is uh, it's um, it is something that's very close to my heart, and I'm just so happy and grateful that I get to talk about it. Um, and impact the lives of children, which will ultimately impact, you know, our lives, you know, here on this earth, so. 100%. That's
3: great. You know what's interesting? I would love to talk about that point you made. And you talked about the ability to move to different cities on a whim. And one time I got very close to being on a TV show, famously, (laughs) you know, 10 years, 20 years ago. And um, you know what they told me? They were just like, um, the, uh, the room was in LA. And I live in New York, and I have a job because my parents aren't the king and queen of England.
1: Yes. And uh,
3: and they go, um, so uh, if you get hired, you're, you're ready to start tomorrow morning, right? Because we the room starts tomorrow morning.
1: It's like, what? Like what?
3: Who, who can do this? Yes. Who can do this? You know, that's so annoying. Like maybe it wasn't the next. It was like it was like a day. It was like I was like, you know, I had to get off. I think it was like the interview was Monday, and the the room was Wednesday. And you know, basically, like you said, like in in this yeah. pandemic, um, people are kind of being a little more okay with like, hey, we can work virtually. Which, let's be real, will help if people of color, <laughs>
1: you know, who are
3: yes. city bound, <laughs> can work and meet with other people.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, it's amazing. Um, when um. I remember well. I was uh, part of the uh, CBS uh, sketch comedy diversity showcase in 2018, and um, they sent me a, a little email saying, "No, we'd like you to interview." No, no one ever asked me where I was, you know. <laughs> um, but in my mind, this was going to be my big break, and so yeah. So I, I took my little money, I bought my plane ticket. And I went, you know, in my hotel room, the close to the interview, you know, the whole thing. And when I got there, like, where do you live? (laughs) (laughs) It's wild. It's like people don't understand the things that you, you know, the hoops that you jump through, you know, um, and the resources that it takes in order to be in this business and make no money. (laughs) Right. I, I don't understand why they don't, you know, and I'm not the only one.
3: And so just like your story and I've heard it before. It's like, they only find out about you in the interview. Whereas, yeah. you know, yeah. you can ask a question through email. Like, why do they, why are all these emails going out? Like, they seem to have a hundred people yeah. gathering all this information, you know, just, <laughs> and, then, and then you get there and they're like, okay, uh, I, nobody knows who you are. No, yeah.
1: <laughs> so when did this email come in? It came to me a week ago. Like, who finds out?
3: But it's funny when you talk to them; they're like so um, they're they're so sympathetic. They're like, "Oh God,
1: really? A week ago?
3: Oh man, I would hate to be you." Yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and you want to do this? I flew across the country. (laughs) Um, Yes, I think I want to do it. I I don't know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, the 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 showcase. Yeah, it's it's sort of unfortunate because it seems like the big opportunities you sort of already have to be either like well healed or like you know, have a spouse who's like completely supporting you to like, take advantage of any of them. Like I've gotten, uh, I'm, I'm also staffed now on a, on a virtual room as well. I told you not Uh, to mention that, but that's, (laughs) it was one of, yeah. It's a, it's a sore spot for Alexis. So I, I write for a Disney, uh, animated TV series, but the, um, but the thing is it's like so many times before pre pandemic, it's like something would come up, like a big audition or uh, an opportunity and you'd read it and it'd be like, oh, the show will write for 18 weeks out in Los Angeles. You have to be be there and it's just like, all right, well, I guess I'll just detonate my life, uh, go out and see, uh, see if it works, if it takes. And I guess like, you know, that's sort of the attitude you have to have to, to kind of make it an entertainment. But it like even even for me, for someone who's been trying to do this for like 10 years, it's kind of like, you know, do I really want to like walk away from my job, my apartment? Like all these things that I've struggled very hard to uh, to like get a hold of, you know, for something that might not work out uh, with yeah. these strangers. So
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like you have to have it, you have to have like a, a, such a belief, you know. In this thing, you know, that I, I can do this thing. And it's also a certain level of like naivete, you know? Right, yes. right, right, right. right, right. You think you can do this thing? I, I think I can. I think I can. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and like, I, um, So I started my career as um, a stage actress, and um, and I was working with theater viewing audiences, steady, steady pay, doing creating, you know, with a company. And then one day I decided I was gonna do comedy. You know, I was gonna be a stand up comic and I was gonna make it, you know? <laughs> so it was like that. That was me stepping my fingers. So when I asked my husband, you know, who has been very supportive. And I said, you know, I really wanna do this other thing. No, he didn't know the world of comedy either, okay? Mm-hmm. So when I said, I'm gonna leave and do comedy, you know, and it seemed that I was getting good at it, he said, sure. You no, know, you know what? I'm supportive. If you need to leave your job, leave your job. But he had never seen one of my paychecks, you know? And he said,
2: <laughs> and one day
1: he saw the paycheck. And he said, wait a minute, you left that job?
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you're going out at 12 o'clock at night <laughs> to yeah. tell jokes to people who hate you, and you left right. that job
3: <laughs> for free. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> naivete is the right word for it, especially when. You know, I'm not, I'm not I whatever like I think some people would consider me accomplished and some people would, you know, whatever. But like I, I do feel like, you know, just to say personally, I was the stuff that I accomplished when I look back at my mindset, I'm just like, why did you even try?
1: That is <laughs> <What? crazy." laughs> you know? uh,
3: just The shit that I did, I'm like, like, you know, like I did a series for like IFC or whatever, and I look back and I'm just like I sat in that room with that woman. And, you know, I was like, I had to pitch her a series. And I literally was just like, honestly, I just give me some money and I'll make something funny. Like, we don't really need to do this whole thing. And she was like, okay. And now, (laughs) you know, eight years later, I'm just like, what, what's wrong with me, single boy. Uh, So yeah, you need that belief in yourself, that naivete. But you know, what's interesting though, is once you kind of get older and more mature and that naivete kind of goes away, your writing does kind of get better because you kind of are more well-rounded as a person. I don't know if you guys have noticed that. <laughs> um, no, my writing is still
0: um, terrible. Uh, yeah, I'm
1: like, I don't know what you're talking about.
0: <laughs> I'm passing with C's. Yeah, it's, uh, I still
1: at night and cry, you know?
0: <laughs> okay, yeah. The two I don't know which
1: I'm word to, in to use in this sentence. <laughs> And people don't know Uh, that about writers. We like, we wake up at like 5 a.m. with ideas, fall back to sleep. We're up again at like seven and we're writing these ideas by 10. They are horrible. You (laughs) realize it's trash.
3: Well, you know, but I'm still a psycho because I love everything (laughs) I write. Okay.
1: (laughs) Oh, Alexis, Alexis. Mm
3: (laughs) <laughs> uh, no, but that's true though. It, you do need to have like, a self, a self yeah, you need to self-edit, you need to kind of, you know, self-sess, like, whatever. Like all that stuff is super important to becoming a good writer. And uh, it's true though. If you need to like look at, I do notice that when people are like, when people love everything they write, I'm just like, I'm like, this is trash. <laughs> 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 I need something to like tell you no. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, so so, Laura, um, w- before we get into the news and this is a news show um, and this is, this is a lovely conversation, uh, by the way, uh, uh, we we are trying to make this monologue, this monologue, this podcast, a talk show. And I just gave away the, the game there because the most important part of a talk show is after you bring the guest out, after you chat for 20 minutes, <laughs> <laughs> then the host does a monologue, just like every talk show. OK, yes. and uh, and I'd love to do my monologue for you guys uh, for this week, if that's all right. Would you guys like to hear my monologue this week?
1: I'd love to hear your monologue.
3: All right. Here we go. I know I have no choice in the matter, so let's hear it. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I usually make every now and then I make my screen bigger and everybody else is like. But actually, uh, you know, whatever you guys may comment and, and say whatever as I try to do this monologue. So uh, please uh, enjoy yourselves. <clears throat> um, this week's monologue. <clears throat> Gun over you know, let me start that again. Because oh I completely mispronounced the second this word. This is just Laura.
0: This is the way they do it on the show, right? This fumbles is the most important. The you know the the anchor of the show.
3: <laughs> and then asks to start over <laughs> while oh God, broadcasting we live. <laughs> we can't edit this because it's broadcast live, so that's fine. <clears throat> Here we go. Uh, the uh, monologue. Gun owners often say, an armed society is a polite society. I always say if that were true, John Wick movies would be pretty boring. Just a bunch of Russian guys with a gun on their hip talking about emotional boundaries. Last week, a Pennsylvania couple was murdered after an argument with their neighbor across the street, who became incensed when the snow they were shoveling out their driveway landed in his. Now, ignoring my belief that snow shoveling is weird and we should be using laser heaters, (laughs) I have to again ask, how did having a psycho gun owner in your neighborhood make you feel safer? That's like saying that guy is growing the gigantic man-eating plants in his lawn. Great neighbor, he really encourages pollinators. (laughs) When I was growing up in Jamaica, Queens, we only had one gun owner on our block, an army veteran who kindly took his family hostage and had a standoff with police. Thankfully, the standoff was only 12 hours, partly because it was a school night. But if you don't own a gun, then how can you torment your family or neighbor? Easy. You call the cops. They have guns. I like to think of them as Uber Eats, but for killing your neighbors. People who you call to have uh, are obsessed. I'm sorry, let me speak <laughs> again. <laughs> I'm just going to wait until you stop laughing so I can edit that Um, in in Alabama a man called the police on a skinny teenager who had been casing the neighborhood every day for a week that skinny teenager a 70 year old man a 70 year old Indian man on a daily walk who was staying with his son and didn't speak English The police broke his back Mm. and not in the cool way Bane did to Batman either. Last week, and we'll talk about this later, Officer Adam Coy was charged with murder when a neighbor called the police about a man warming up his car at midnight. The officer showed up, saw a black man holding up his phone and murdered him. Seems to me the most dangerous people in your life are not strangers, but just other people in your neighborhood who own the homes. Now, I'll open it up to the panel. Uh, Would you feel safe with gun owners in your neighborhood? Laura, we'll start with you.
1: (laughs) Um, You know, I do not like the idea of gun owners in my neighborhood. Um, Like, I grew up in uh, Southwest Philadelphia, and I kind of feel like I lived in a neighborhood where everyone did have a gun, Mm -hmm. uh, like, unregistered, though. You know, (laughs) I just kind of feel like. (laughs) That's the safe <laughs> I'm not sure, you know, but that's what I think. And I moved to Brooklyn. I lived in a neighborhood where there was a lot of like, pop, 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 you know, all the yeah. time. I did not feel safe, but it, you know, growing up with these things around me, I just kind of said, I guess this is what life is. I don't know. But um, no, I do not prefer to have uh, gun owners in my neighborhood, uh, especially ones who decide they need to have like, you know, like semi-automatic weapons. That's that doesn't give me a sense of security.
3: Yeah, yeah, and and um, well, Alex, you're from California. Where you're from, like a red part of California, right? Is that
0: sort of, of yeah? I'm from the uh, Central Valley, so we're about uh, two hours away from the coast. And yeah, and you know, I sort of the same thing. Um, you know, my dad um, had guns uh, growing up. Uh, you might <laughs> I- <laughs> oh, <really>? <laughs> <laughs> we might have discussed that was actually a, a point of contention. Um, and it's, just, it's also just funny too, because that actually does come up in the in the trial transcripts. Like apparently they were out on the Delta, just like firing their guns into the water for fun. Uh, and that was the thing you did when you were in your uh, 20s, I guess, and had, um, had a business. But um, the, uh, yeah, I mean like, I, I personally uh, would never own a gun. Uh, members of my family do in other parts of the country, not in New York City. Um, and, but I'm, you know, I, I would never own a gun. And if I could, I would never have neighbors. <laughs> <would> be, yeah. <laughs> I think maybe that's the thing. Like, you know, forget the second amendment. Let's get a, like, you know, number 27, Let, you know, no, <laughs> no yeah, neighbors. You your neighbors
3: can't quarter near you. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, that's the funny part too. It's, um, it, it is, it is the neighbors. Uh, yeah. And, and gun or no gun. Um, you know, I don't know if it like living in an apartment, it's kind of comes and goes every now and then you might have like a neighbor who is against your wall and it's like noisy or whatever but I often find that you know my friends who for example grew up in Long Island and had houses that they're just kind of like oh yeah we all had we, there was like neighbors who were like don't park in front of my house don't don't you know mow your lawn like there was like an obsession like there's basically everybody who lived in the neighborhood there's like a battle for mayor of the block. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they're just kind of like you know again it's like gun or no gun they're just like there's like a, arguments about the stupidest shit but then But then when you mix guns into the argument, then it just, you know, it It gets bad, dangerous. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, when you look at it, I mean, in cities and other areas as well. I mean, technically, we do all have guns because we have the police and Mm -hmm. people often weaponize the police. You know, they call the police because they know the police. They have the guns. And so they know that this police officer is going to show up and be a threat, you know, and possibly pull out that weapon. Now, why people consistently call the police for things like someone warming up their car, you know, knowing that at the other end of that conversation, there could actually be, you know, deadly force used if things go wrong. I don't know why people do that, but they do. And that's a version of having your own gun.
0: Right. It's a threat of violence, implicit threat of violence. Yeah. I mean, what's interesting, too, like thinking about it, Uh, Once again, like I said, I'm going through these transcripts and I also happened to catch a lot of uh, my dad frequently would show up at uh, city council meetings, uh, especially towards the end of his life. And an issue that kept coming up is somebody kept uh, towing his cars, you know, because my dad had a couple of cars out uh, out in front. And the thing is, there were ordinances that were designed to uh, tow them in the event that they were an abandoned vehicle. But what happened was over one particular summer. Uh, My dad was just like targeted constantly. Like he kept getting phone calls and it was our neighbors who were calling in these complaints. And they, you know, they knew that my dad drove the cars and whatever, but it was still the thing where like he would wake up and they were like towing his car uh, or like or like ticketing it or whatever it was. And he basically went to the city council and said like, hey, you know, you're using, you know, there are problems in the city and you're using um, this, uh, your your, your parking agency and manpower uh, to uh, to target me um for you know for having these these cars you know my dad was a, a you know like i said had clearly had uh, interactions with police before um but you know like it, but it was an example of him of of sort of like that you know this the, really a, a dispute over you know beautification you know like you know is your lawn green enough you know are you do you have like a sign or something or a lawn ornament that i find obnoxious uh, I'm going to bring in the power of the state to, uh, to regulate this thing because, like, you know, I don't want this uh, Mexican guy to have his cars uh, out in front of his house because I don't think they look nice. And, and the, uh, were
3: they broken? Like, so this is actually kind of I did. I totally forgot about this. This happened to me. Uh, my neighbor put a car with no wheels, uh, like a broken windshield, whatever, at the front on the front of his house, like not even his driver. He just kept it there. Mm-hmm. And uh, like my dad complained about it, like endlessly. And then one day a tow truck showed up and to, to take it. And my neighbor went out to argue with him. And literally every single one of my neighbors came out to stare. And it was kind of like that moment where like the neighbor was like, which one of you did this? You know? oh, <laughs> oh, <I'm on> you.
0: <laughs> How bad was your dad's car? I mean, the thing is, so this happened. The thing, this happened to vehicles that like worked and operated and stuff. The thing is, oh, that's
3: so stupid.
0: Yeah, the at the end of it is like you know, my dad. He to make a point, he actually drove the car that got ticketed and towed to the city council meeting and told all the city council members to go outside and look at it. He said, like, look, it's a big car. It's a Lincoln Continental from 1976. It gets 14 miles to the gallon, and I only drive it on weddings and funerals. It it works. It runs. but yeah, but you know, like, but even in the other appearances, too, he's just talking about like all these measures and these sort of like you know, quality of life uh, crimes and stuff uh, or ordinances are basically just made to punish uh, poor people, uh, mm-hmm. people who don't have resources. Um, and so, yeah, and that's how I found out my family was poor and had no resources. <laughs>
1: I love the fact that your dad had like a special event car.
0: Yeah, yeah. We <laughs> you, you, you,
1: you
0: have, you have like eight of them, they stop being uh special event cars. <laughs> Weddings and funerals. Weddings and funerals. Weddings one for and weddings and funerals.
1: funerals.
0: Yeah, one for picking my son up uh and embarrassing him at uh at school. <laughs> exactly.
1: I remember my um we Uh, When I grew up in Philadelphia, we lived in a row house, so there was no, you know, front lawn and so on like that. Um, But I do remember, you know, my mother had this giant um, blue station wagon and it had the like the oh my gosh what do you call it um the uh, cb radio kind of um antenna sticking out on top this oh giant God, antenna,
3: huge on a, on a station wagon
1: <laughs> 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 like it was huge. and as much you know it's like and the car ran and it was great to have a car but i have to say as a kid you know like when other you know kids are riding around in these like slick mm-hmm. automobiles and you're in the big blue you know station wagon it's like Ghostbusters car yeah it's like, <laughs> No, we're getting there, but man. <laughs> yeah,
3: none,
0: none. I mean that's yeah, that's sort of the way that the 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 wedding and funeral car was actually my high school uh, vehicle. Like that's how I I do it. And Alexis knows this. But what would happen is my you know my dad would buy these cheap ass cars and then sort of try to fix them up and make them nice or whatever because you know he liked getting a deal. But this car, uh, on several occasions, it was on a pump system, which is attached to a pulley. And so what would happen is that would fall off. And so the steering and the brakes would go out at the same time. <laughs> and you know, the look at is like a tank. And so you're just you're going at 40 miles an hour. You could like wipe out a school bus. It's like, it's bad. <laughs> so
3: you're probably smaller than a school bus. <laughs>
0: right. So I uh yeah, so I moved to New York, so I never have to drive again. <laughs> and that's my trauma. That's what the podcast is about. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Alex often talks of, and it's funny because it's like, I literally have nightmares that my brakes go out, but Alex lived the nightmares.
0: <laughs> yeah, my, my recurring nightmares with cars is I'm always trying to drive it from, like, the back seat on the wrong side of the car, and I have to use, like, a <laughs> stick to control it.
3: Fucking x Oh, gosh.
1: You well, know, you shouldn't have a car. Yeah, no, that's
3: <laughs> I, 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 I don't. I don't. I don't have a
0: driver's license anymore for that reason.
1: No. Yeah. <laughs> I could just see you behind the wheel getting triggered, like ah, Oh my god. <laughs> school bus. School bus.
3: <laughs> you know, yeah. No. It's. If I went on a road trip with Alex, and he, you know, didn't even offer once to drive. We
0: just like, <laughs>
3: I legally down. can't, Alexis. I don't have. A, I don't have a driver's license anymore. Well, you could have gotten to jail. Seat. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, Um, so let's get into the news here. Um, there was a couple of, uh, news items. We we mentioned the, the officer. I I want to go to that second. Um, and, uh, so we're, we're starting to, uh, see an increase, a little bit of an increase in the vaccine distribution. Um, and, um, you know, I think we talked about this before. Um, they're just like, as much as they send us, we'll use. And it's like, you know, in world war II, maybe I'm wrong. I feel like they converted factories right, into like weapons, like car factories became like weapons factories, uh, like the Yankees stopped playing and they all went to Germany, you know, like the <laughs> baseball teams literally stopped playing and fought in the world in the World War Two. Um, and uh, so, you know, I kind of wish we had that kind of energy today. We don't. We seem to not have that energy today. It just seems to be like, uh, Laura, I mean, I feel like you're, you know, you kind of were going into this earlier. It seems like business as usual.
1: Is that not right? <laughs> um, in ways, I mean, it, I think it, to me, it's worse than that because there are, um, yeah, so there needs to be a ramp up in production, right? Everyone needs to be producing these chemicals to make these vaccines. Um, and there needs to be some sharing of information so that we can protect people instead of hoarding, you know, the science. You know, come on now, You know, let's, let's do this. Um, but also um, just the way in which once the vaccine is made and how it's being doled out, because the vaccine is going to places where people are getting more than they need, it's not getting to people who actually need it. There's one case, and I wish I could remember the name of the university, but it's a um, it's a conservative liberal arts college, and they got like double the amount that they were supposed to get, you know, from the order. Their see, their like chief executive or whatever was put in a position where he could order the vaccine, you know, to be uh, given out at this college. But mind you, this college was a college where they didn't follow any like type of mask mandates. They didn't believe, you know, in dealing with the virus whatsoever. They wanted to have classes, um, all these things. Um, they're like writing, like students who go to the college were writing, you know, essays and newspapers about how, you know, this is not real and fake and so on. That's However,
3: just like, why is the virus not fake? They were
0: they were a skeptical college. Yes, <laughs> a skeptical
1: college. So this is a college that gets like you know like the vaccine before other people, and not only that, twice the amount. That's crazy. If there's just something wrong with that. Meanwhile, you have you know people who really want it and need it who can't get it. You know it just you know it just it it is infuriating to me, if you couldn't tell by the sound of my voice. It's just <laughs> making me so angry. Um, and yeah, they need to, you know, like now they're um, going to roll it out. Uh, various states are you know, using these large central locations, um, which on one hand sounds great, but on the other hand, if you have poor people who don't have cars, you know, and there is not a, a good infrastructure with transportation, how do we get these people to these sites? And if they're already you know, distrustful of the system, why would you like take them out of their environment to put them in this other weird place, you know, where all this weird science is happening, you know, with people with it just seems like otherworldly. Like, let it be at like the local pharmacy, like where everybody They're knows doctors. everybody, you know, yeah. you know, where I go to pick up my like small bottle of Tylenol, you know, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know let, let that happen. Um, where, I'm, where I'm from, where I'm screens. from, uh, East
3: Queens, there's mm-hmm. no... There's no subway, you know. Like mm-hmm. people would have to take the bus, which is dangerous in and of itself. You know, to like, you know, in the uh, we still are suffering from Corona. So, you know, I just wish that they were like. Basically, they're targeting like these, as you said, like these popular centers, like Yankee Stadium, you know, City Field. Like they're just kind of like, oh, we'll put it there because that's like popular, and there are people, poor people, who live around there. But then they're like, what about you know Jamaica Queens? You know, what about like spring, like these these places where there's really not much public transportation that people need it, and and as you said, like that's so important. Like it needs to be some a trusted doctor, a trusted pharmacist. You know, it's it's tough. You know, it's yeah. Like, well, it's, the, it's, it's wild too because in, in New York, it just seems like the plan change,
0: Like every week, the plan sort of changes. Like I was under the impression that uh, that the medical worker, medical workers, frontline and education workers were going to sort of be that first priority. And then they've, they've opened it up to folks with comorbidities, which I think is fine. But at the same time, like there's, there's not a uniform way in which to arrange to get a vaccine Uh, in terms of the questions of, uh, of proof of membership. And one of these priority things like they, you know, there's no uh, uniform indication of of how that goes about. And so like people, I remember for the first wave of uh, education workers that got it, it wasn't even an official link to get an appointment like somebody, um, you know, had, no, somebody had a, a link on Twitter to uh, whatever organization was sort of um, distributing the vaccines. And that's how the information was disseminated. It didn't come from the UFT. It didn't come from the state. It didn't come from the city. Uh, and that sort of seems to be kind of the case. Like I've seen people who, who've gotten their vaccines on Facebook because they know somebody. Who like works for like a, a community outreach group or something who has like an individual hookup, uh, and you know the people getting them are the people who should be getting them. Like they are in the, those priority groups, but there's not a there's no oversight and there's not a um, you know an official thing. And I think uh, it goes to Laura's point about wanting to um, increase trustworthiness uh, in the vaccine and the public perception of it is like you know if I if I get a thing that says like oh you know the uh, the New York um league of um oh, I'm trying to remember the name of that organization um you know the you know, the Brooklyn Knights of Columbus are distributing vaccines uh you know I might be like well that, you know that's kinda strange like you know is this a, a government affiliate or no, you know it's just it's a, just, friend, a friend of the government it's just, it's just like a friend who got these vaccines off a truck or whatever
3: it is like let's you know let's be real more motherfuckers have access to the SNL packet than to the vaccine okay like that's the shit that's going on and that's it, that's that's what annoys me, you know, yeah. uh, like we had a year and look, I don't work for the government. You know, you don't you guys you two don't work for the government. Like it's not our jobs to like think of like ways to like um, uh, get a hold of who lives where and where where people are, who has a comorbidities. We had a year and it's like all did, did all you do was like try to hook up your zoom, and, like, have zoom <laughs> meetings and then, you know, not do anything like you had a year of us stuck inside. Like, I feel like in that year, you should have thought about in the likely event that we had a vaccine, how would this go? And instead, you know, people are running out. My uncle went to his uh, appointment last Friday and they were, they were like, we ran out, you know? So uh, thanks, like, uh, you know, he actually, and he actually had Corona um, uh, in March. He was like out for like a week. Like he was just, you know, scary, blah, blah, blah. like. But he's, you know, he's fine. But again, it's just like, he's, he's 68. Or whatever, showing up to an appointment where they're like, "Oh, sorry, we're out." But like, do you want a test? Do you want to? They're like trying to offer him other stuff. <laughs> like, no, I, I could jab a, a
0: swab in your nose, you know, if you'd like uh, <laughs> as a compromise.
3: You know, we got a PCR oh, here okay. for you. you know, all right. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right yeah. But 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 I was thinking though, he's sixty-eight year old man, um, and uh, he has he's got the antibodies. But um, had you know, you would think they would. Be more careful to have people with these comorbidities go all the way out to a a center for the vaccine and then tell them they're out. Right. Just me. Just me. And meanwhile, (laughs) I I know I've said this all the time. If you owe the government a dollar, a dollar, they will find you. It doesn't matter. They'll find you in the Cayman Islands. They'll find you in, you know, fucking (laughs) Vietnam. They'll go and find you. Okay. But if you got to vote, or if you got to like uh, get the vaccine now, that used to be just voting. Now it's the vaccine. <laughs> if you got to get the vote or a vaccine, any V, any V word, they, they're, who, yeah. who are you? Let's what? see a green card and then yeah. we'll... Uh, <laughs> 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 literally
0: the attitude, my God. Another
3: department that you had that literally right next door has been hunting me down for a dollar. And then when I'm going to vote, it's like, who am I? Like, it just drives me fucking
1: insane. It's, it's wild. Insane. Yeah, it is. Um, it is.
3: Let's go to um, something else that, that, you know, really drew, drove me insane. And uh, uh, I don't know if you guys saw this video. It, like I saw the video and it like I've never seen usually in these stories, they tell you like um, they, they make it worse than the video. Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But like, I feel like in the stories, they usually are, like worse than the video. But uh, this neighbor a couple months ago, probably uh, saw a man warming up his car uh, in front of his house. And as you know, um, every robber, before they rob your house, warm up their car for an hour <laughs> out on the front <laughs> You guys know this. Typical <laughs> robber behavior. Um, so he say, he sees a man warming up his car. Um, and, first, and, and he says the man, warm up this car, turn the car off, went back in, warm up his car again. Um, a little personal to me, you know, I'm not uh, African-American, but like my, my dad uh, used to come home really late from work uh, around midnight, or whatever. Weird of him to do this, but he would sit in his car, and listen to the radio in the front, whatever. Then he, he, he Again, my dad is weird, but that's something he did. I have to imagine this man probably doing the same Right. just a simple also very legal extremely legal to do that. Okay uh, So he calls the police police officer shows up. The man is in a garage opens the garage has his hands up um, and even like the the phone so the article says the man pulls out his phone and then the officer shot him. Uh-uh, no, not true. In the video, the man is actually has his hands up the entire fucking time. Okay. The entire time. He's literally walking out like this because he thinks, oh, I should show them my hands so I don't get shot. Well, unfortunately for him, you know, he does get shot. Okay. And, um, this is a point I brought up before. Alex and I have talked about these shootings a lot um sadly but uh and then i'll stop with my rant and then you guys talk about it, but i'm saying like they shoot these people okay and often uh african-american uh men and then they uh act like they are superheroes who are going to come back to life and like assault them okay once you shoot somebody they're pretty incapacitated you can go and check but they like literally stand out there and let you die for an hour this is sick it's a sick society we live in. I mean, I, and, and I don't know. What do you guys think? Um, <laughs> I know what you think, but I'd love to hear.
1: it. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, one thing that um, I one thing that I know is that the perception of black man as evil killer, you know, exists, you know, within the minds of so many people in this country, and it starts from childhood. You know, there was a study done uh, recently at like three th- southern universities and it had to be and it had to do with uh, prospective teachers being able to identify the emotions of students. And this, the, there were pictures yeah. of kids from like nine to 13 and the picture showed them with a range of emotions, you know, happy, angry, sad um, and so on. And the teachers more often than not, you know, mislabeled the anger, you know, of black children as angry. You know, the black girls and black boys, but mostly black boys. And that just speaks to this internal fear that like people have. It's um, And in that if you look at it, what they do to children, when you think of this, like in from classrooms and various situations, and just it carries through to adulthood, this fear exists. If you see this tape, you can hear the fear that is in this officer's voice. He sounds like someone who should not be in that job. He sounds like someone who was over in over his head. He is does not have the emotional wherewithal to correctly identify what is a true threat and what is not. And someone lost their life over it, and it's a tragedy. And the fact that he was yelling at him like, "Get up, get you know, like move, you know, put your move your hand from under your body, like move. This She's man insane. is like straight shot, dude. You know, <laughs> you shot yeah. this man, Um, and you're still standing there like terrified. Like yeah, like this big black boogeyman is gonna come and get you. It is. It's heartbreaking. And now,
3: Alex, um, just to get into the legal stuff of this, and you know, whatever say what you want, but like, um, this man was charged, um, and I feel like all the other officers should also be charged um, because a man lay his dying, and nobody did anything. Right. You know,
0: it's is there- it's it's yeah. It's pretty it's pretty wild. Uh, also, just from a criminal legal perspective, uh, like you know, once again, i brought up my dad's murder podcast a lot <laughs> today. <laughs> uh, but there is a but it's it's sort of interesting because in a um, in a felony murder situation, for example, so let's say that uh, you and I make a plan to go rob a store, and in the course of robbing the store, uh, the clerk has a heart attack and dies. Uh, you and I can be charged with murder both of us, uh, even even though a gun was never fired, um, because uh, under this concept of felony murder, if in the commission of a dangerous felony, somebody dies, uh, the liability, the criminal liability for that is imputed to the defendants. Now, if you flip it and reverse it with uh, police officers, that almost, that never ever happens. Like I think with George Floyd, you probably got the, uh, the closest to that uh, in that case because the, uh, the officers who were bystanders where were, uh, were and present didn't intervene and were charged with uh, negligent homicide. But in, in this case, yeah, like you, you would never see a case where when an officer acted with clearly unreasonable force uh, to terminate to murder another man, and they were present, like they're not going to, you never would get a case where they'd impute that same liability uh, to the other officers. And of course, like there are various reasons for that. You know, there's a long history. Uh, of the system sort of taking steps to sort of safeguard its, um, its operatives uh, from liability, criminal and civil. Uh, But yeah, but it's like, it's a strange, um, I guess you would call it, uh, I wouldn't call it ironic necessarily, but this uh, sort of double standard where uh, for anything terrible that happens, um, if you're accused of a crime is absolutely your fault and can be imputed to you. Uh, But if you're a peace officer uh, you know they give you a medal and uh, everyone there gets overtime. Uh, yeah, it's horrible.
1: Yeah. The, what about um, the uh, the legalities surrounding uh, the officers in this case? Their body cams not being on because the only reason we caught the clip uh, that snippet of the video is because um, at some after the murder happened, the officer turned on his body camera. It was off prior to that, so. Both of them, the, the, two officers arrived, the two officers who arrived on the scene. So it's crazy to me, like, why did you turn your camera on now? Right, Do you yeah. not, like, you know, um, so now it's on? And also, you messed yourself up. Because if the camera never came on, we all know that this would not have been um, discussed and the action would not have happened as quickly to remove this officer, just would right. not. He
0: probably, he probably wouldn't have been charged if it wasn't for the video. I mean, it, yeah, the and typically in cases like that too, in any situation where a, um, you know, a suspect or somebody is in control of uh, documents or evidence uh, and has no control and then those go missing, there's usually a, a presumption that comes in that says like, hey, you can presume that this person did it and that they hit or destroyed this evidence uh, to conceal their crime. And once again... That, that's in, admissible in court? Like, you can say that in court? Yeah, yeah. Actually. Like, it, like it's coming up in, in our case now. Like, there's a, a big argument about, like, um, you know, these documents were missing, and there was a fire, and so they were trying to sort of argue that, like, well, there was a fire, uh, no one was ever charged for it, but, like, maybe we should be able to argue. They weren't able to get it in, in my dad's case, but in um, in a lot of cases, yeah, it's uh, generally called a, spolia- a spoliation of uh, evidence and the idea being that if uh, somebody destroys evidence um, that was in their possession or like loses it somehow, and the evidence um, like would have, or like, like was likely to like uh, either indicate some sort of negligence or liability on someone's part, uh, then you get a, an instruction to the jury that basically says like, hey, you can assume that if they destroyed this evidence, it's likely because the evidence would have shown that they uh, had engaged in this accused activity. And once again, with uh, with police officers like we like there is no uh, there's no liability or presumption in that I'm sure there are administrative uh, administrative disciplinary procedures and stuff. Like if you you know don't have your body camera on or something like, you know, it's probably a violation of some workplace code. But it's it's not the kind of thing that states uh, or municipalities have used to sort of, uh, you know, to doubt officers or to come into play in criminal trials. And so it probably it probably should.
3: Yeah, Laura's question, basically, you know, not turning on your body cam, it's like the same as wearing the wrong shoes. Right, exactly.
0: Yeah, it's, it's like it's against it's regulations, but it's not going it's not in itself a fireable event. And it, it, it probably should be because the thing is, if you if you're going out and this thing's not on like, hey, you don't get to go out. Uh, you know, it's not like, you know, in football, if someone shows up, doesn't, you know, <laughs> goes on without a helmet, we don't say <laughs> like, all right, well, let's let them uh, let's let them go. Like, no, you, you watch how They stop the game and uh, that guy gets the fuck off the field. It's the same way with the officers. If you don't go in with uh, all the tools, including the thing that's there to make sure that you're not uh, murdering innocent people, get the fuck off the field. Uh,
3: you know, it, it, it's crazy. Like, uh, yeah, the the body cam. And again, I just want to say again, the stories I had read about it, because when it first happened, I did read about it like that day or whatever. And again, what they said was the garage opened, opened randomly and a, a man exited and the, cop fired, like, I mean, look, you know, sometimes the media is liberal, sometimes the media is conservative, whatever, like, or they try to be neutral. Uh, And then you see the video, and it's not even close, literally not even close, the garage door is already open, you know? All right. Well, you know, this, this has been this has been such an interesting conversation. I gotta say, Laura. like, You know, we're going. Like, I, I really literally want to talk with stuff. you about this stuff for hours
0: and hours. We are. We should have known um, from the monologue that it was uh, <laughs> it was a serious Alexis episode. Um,
3: so let's you know let's move on um, uh, to uh, the stimulus bill uh, that's coming out. Um, you know, eight years eight years ago, twelve years ago. Um, you know, when Obama became president. They spent many months working with Republicans to try to come up with a bill together because you know we were in a recession, you know, the, you know, whatever, like depression, almost basically. And uh, after all those months, you know, working on Obamacare, working on the, the the stimulus bill, Republicans went no, and basically ran out the clock. You know, very smart, ran out the clock. That's all you <laughs> gotta do, run out the clock. And um, Biden claims he's not gonna fall for the same trick again. You know. What 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 do are you hopeful, Laura? <laughs> How are you feeling about <laughs> Biden and his uh, bill?
1: Um, listen, I think that um, it's wise to use the tools that are in his toolbox uh, to get this moving and to get people the help that they need. Um, and what I will say is that I. Do believe, however, that there are those who may receive the stimulus checks who do not need the stimulus checks. I mean, um, that's part of this larger conversation because there are people, you know, there are some people who, for example, may not get checks um, because they don't have, you know, historically the um, the proof of employment that they might need in order to get this check. That's a problem because they are doing the work, but maybe um, they just don't have the documentation that would have covered them for a certain time period. Um, and then there are people who are making X amount of dollars like in, I don't know, Kentucky. And that like $50,000 in Kentucky is a lot different from $50,000 in New York City. Okay, you know, I, and so, I mean, that's a lot different. I, I won't even talk about Kentucky. No, I'll leave you all alone, Kentucky. But I mean, like, <laughs> like New York City even versus, you know, like um, upstate New York, Fifty thousand dollars in the city is much different than fifty thousand dollars in upstate New York. You you can live a much different life. So to say that is all equal, I personally think there should be a sliding scale. If they ask me, I would say sliding scale all day. You know, in regard to <laughs> who gets what and how much is that complicated? I don't know. Is it easier just to like say, well, everybody gets under you know if you make under a certain amount. Um, I guess that's easier, but I think it's wasteful because there are people who don't need that money. That's all I'm saying. Yeah.
3: No, that's a good point. I first of all, I and I think you should consider running for mayor. First of all, uh, that was such a good answer. <laughs> you are like, like, okay, I'm gonna take this and I'm gonna do this. this. Um, so that was pretty good, uh, impressive. Uh, please don't come on the show again and do that. Uh, but um, yeah, I so my my thing is I'm I'm a cash guy. Uh, let's just take the cash out there. And, um, you know, the 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 cost of living is something that I never I don't really think about too much, but only because it's very difficult. And I think it's I think you're right um, that they should consider cost of living and they they never will. (laughs) They never will, (laughs) um, which is sick, but um, uh, though the other thing, though, is if somebody the only people I do kind of care about is like, let's say somebody who makes too much money whatever, and still is making a lot of money, gets a check or whatever. Let's, let's just, let's say, um, we have a little organization that goes by three letters. Uh, it (laughs) starts with I ends with S and has a little R in the middle and they, they can go in. Okay. And they could get that money back for these people when it's time for tax time, you know, uh, April 15th, we're all aware of that day. That's fine. So (laughs) I, when, I do agree that, it, you know, and, and the same goes for companies getting bailouts, who gets the who gets the bailouts but the big companies with the, you know, with the, the connections and, you know, that sucks too. Yeah. But, you know, when it comes to people who have too much money and like, you know, I know that's the big spo- point that Biden is just like, I don't want the people who don't need it to get it. Well, just go ahead, knock on the door of the IRS who, you know, they have nine months where they don't really do shit. Okay. And just ask them. <laughs> <laughs> to get that money back from those rich people that's all that's because the only reason why is cause i don't want people i don't want somebody who made seventy five thousand dollars in 2019 and then got laid off and is living you know hand to hand to mouth uh to not get money that to me oh, is a, a disaster as well
1: yes absolutely i mean i that's correct i mean there has to be a way that uh, it is complicated but there has to be a way of making sure that people who need money get the money because yes there are going to be people who made you know, a lot of money before and maybe they spend it all because they had lots of expenses. Maybe they're sending home money home to parents. You know, a lot of us do that. Maybe they're taking care of, you know, someone else's kid. A lot of us do that. So, you know, there has to be a way to make sure that they're taken care of as well. That is not like, oh, well, you may X amount last year, but dude, I am like one foot into being not able to eat mm-hmm. at all today. So, mm-hmm. Oh, it's complicated. And that's why I should not be mayor. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> that's a pretty funny, like, you know, just Laura there going up against de Blasio. That's like, this is why I shouldn't be mayor. First speech. Like, you know what? We still, we still like her better. We still like her better. You mean, like that?
1: Um, yeah. It's not hard.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Wish de
0: Blasio had said that. <laughs> if he ended his first speech, you like, and that's why I should be mayor and resigned. Oh, my God. My opinion of him would be. <laughs>
1: I, oh, my gosh. It amazed me. <laughs>
3: Oh, hey, Alex, what are your thoughts, if, if any
0: about it? I mean, like, yeah, I, I'm in agreement. Like if you if you overpay, you know, if someone is, you know, gets money that they shouldn't get. Like, yeah, we have uh, mechanisms and means at our disposal for getting that money back. And then some uh, I think the the thing is, like the politicians aren't necessarily worried about like, oh, is this money going to, you know, is it going to be the most effective, whatever it is? Like, I think with the, when they dick around like this, they're concerned about optics, but i think the you know the republicans are worried about um, you know to break this down into stereotypes The republicans are worried about looking like uh you know they're getting on the side of a social welfare program with no means testing and the democrats are afraid that like well we're gonna you know uh, jeff bezos is gonna get a check for two thousand dollars the same amount as some other guy and you know that's gonna make it harder to uh, get our agenda through so they're going to opt for the third solution uh which is a uh you know a half measure that accomplishes nothing uh, and, um, yeah, like that's the, I think that's what we're, we're sort of hooking into, but yeah, I agree. Like we definitely have like, um, you know, there are tools to, uh, to get that money back if it goes out to the wrong person. Uh, you know, it's not like they, you know, they issue the check and then it's just like, well, you know, that's the, uh, the end of it. Like they have, a, they have a record. That's the reason they had to pass a law last time that said they weren't going to tax it. Uh, because they, you know, they could use the IRS to sort of track down, uh, who the money went to and, uh, to make an adjustment for that at the end. So, yeah, so I don't, I don't buy the thing of just like, oh, like, oh, it's complicated. It's not like give out the money. And, uh, then later on, if, uh, if they decide that it was in uh, a mistake or whatever it was uh take it back or take it to court or don't even better save a lot more
3: money (laughs) yeah exactly
0: there's a way to save two thousand dollars just like send it out and then don't prosecute
3: anyone for anything guaranteed (laughs) treat us like you treat your friends Exactly. exactly (laughs) <laughs> you know, I, I, I think so. It's funny. We're all in agreement about passing out the money. The the I, the point that I think Laura made that I think is kind of complicated that we do need more thought of is is cost of living, especially, you know, for example, a poor person who lives in New York City, who is a cleaner and, you know, can't clean apartments or whatever. The rent is sky high. You know, like it's still, you know, it, for another day, for another day, we'll talk about that stuff. But that's a really good point. Um, and that's our episode. This was great. I mean, we went over and I usually am mad when we go over, but this is <laughs> <right>. <laughs> um, uh, Laura, uh, where can the people see you? What are you up to? What's what's uh, what what's your life going to be like for a show mean, business wise?
1: Well, right. well, the people, the people, they can see me every Friday night on uh, Twitch. Uh, my show is The Goss. It is a BIPOC centered, left leaning uh comedy uh talk show and sketch show uh for the culture you know um we uh, have a lot of fun we talk about politics and um just fun culture related stuff at 10 p.m every friday uh, we stream through the Litverse. that's our station so if you want to find us l-i-t-v-e-r-s-e well before that the delivers <laughs> um, on twitch right? Twitch.tv slash The Lit First, 10 p.m. every Friday. I'm the host of that show. So, you know, you know I get it, Alexis. Yeah. I know good, so. You know what's funny? I Your was on that channel.
3: Yeah. I was on that channel. First of all, let me say, you know, and maybe maybe I'll be invited back. But, uh, the Alexis Prayer program was on that channel. Will goes, will be done in October. And I go, oh, well, I mean, okay, then I'll just start this channel. I'll start my own channel. So I start this channel and, you know, I'm doing my thing. I look over there.
2: The
3: litter is still going. <laughs> like, oh sorry, the party. Yeah, we <laughs> I have lived I have lived through this my entire life. Where somebody goes, oh, the party's over. And as I'm driving away, it's not over. Yeah. We, need, we need the table at nine. And then you
0: look you know, you're at the bar at nine thirty, you're looking over and there's nobody there.
3: <laughs> so,
1: you know, that's I just want to make a
3: comment to that's our good. Martinez if you're listening. Um, God uh, damn come
1: it. for a visit. So, uh, no, I think, here. I think we're here to stay. Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, I love
3: it's great stuff on the channel, but again, like, I, I was in there and I was told. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that was the, the original. Hours. Plan. That was the original plan, but then after um some conversations and um, you know, some some heartfelt, you know, um, uh, interactions, you know, like yeah, this needs to happen. So. So here we are.
3: And and guys, I got to tell you, I l- really enjoyed listening to Laura's thoughts. So I would definitely would suggest you go uh, do that. Uh, go listen to more of her thoughts uh, on her show. Please. Um, yeah. <laughs>
1: Please come on. Um,
3: now, um, as we end every episode, uh, we, we, we go into the mind of the other... You know, I'm one type of Latino. We go into the mind of the other type of Latino, the Alex Estradas of the world. And we get his final thought. Alex, what is your final thought? My final thought? Well, you know, we've been been talking a lot about,
0: uh, you know, careers and and seeking opportunities and sort of taking chances. And uh, I just read The Secret this past week. Uh, And, you know, a thing that they talk about is that if you have a a goal in mind, you sort of have to state it and to put it out in the universe in order to, like, manifest it. Um, And so uh, that's why I'm going to declare right now uh, that I would love, love, love to be staffed on a uh, late-night show with Big Bird. So <laughs> if anyone at Sesame is listening or you're coming through this or checking it out, please check out uh, check me out. You know, I write for Disney. I've got a podcast about my murder dad coming out. As you can tell from this show, I have uh, experience uh, you know, talking to turkeys. So,
3: what? Excuse me. <laughs> like Alexa First of all, <laughs> Big Bird is the nuts one okay? because he has an imaginary friend. Okay, so I think. Yeah, uh, yeah,
0: yeah, just like he is Cephalophagus, you have a manager. Exactly.
3: (laughs) I think Cephalophagus answers his emails. uh, (laughs) My manager. All right, thank you very much, everybody. Have a good week. Bye.
1: Bye.